0: Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional Medicine Nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues, and that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition, unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hello, my people. Today, we are talking about integrative cancer care with Kathy Biase. She's a registered holistic nutritionist and cancer coach. Now, we haven't talked cancer on the show before. Uh, it's way out of my wheelhouse in terms of areas of expertise. So, I had Kathy come on to talk, and you'll notice in our conversation she really works alongside oncologists and conventional care. She's not a replacement for it and she's really really clear with that. Um we're going to get into nutrition for cancer, gut health, microbiome and cancer and there's going to be a lot of talk about their circ- circadian rhythm. So perhaps a different um Different perspective than you've been exposed to before, both from a preventative standpoint, but also um, treatment and post-treatment. So please, as always, feel free to share this episode with anybody that might benefit from it. That's why we do this show. It's to get good, sound information into the hands of as many people as possible. Before we dive into the interview, a couple of announcements here on my end. Um, My Eat to Achieve 21-Day Nutrition Program will officially (laughs) be available for purchase on Monday. This has been a labor of love. So I've been running this program now, some iteration of this program for almost, shoot, eight years, I would say. It's gone through many, many rebirths and It has recently undergone a brand new rebirth, so I went through all of the information with a fine-tooth comb. I took some things out. I updated some things. I zhuzhed it up. My husband has been working tirelessly on the design component and just giving it an overall facelift. Um... And Despite all of that, I've actually dropped the price, so it's now available for $99. It's a self-study program, so you can purchase it on my website at any time. It's a great filler if you're waiting around for another live program. You can do this any old time you want, and as part of the whole rebirth and my birthday, I'm a St. Patty's Day baby, I am offering a package deal, so if you purchase both Eat to Achieve and the Carb Compatibility Project, you can save $50 on the bundle. I'm going to offer that deal throughout my entire birthday week, and it will expire on March 22nd. Um, the CCP officially starts on April 13th, so you'll be able to run through Eat to Achieve, and then you can participate in the Carb Compatibility Project. So the distinction between the two is that Eat to Achieve is really about how to build out a real food Eating plan Um, answers a lot of questions how to shop, how to prepare, how to meal prep, how to, you know, um, prepare your food in bulk, all that kind of stuff. We don't get into that nitty gritty in the carb compatibility project. CCP is more next level where you Further dial in your nutrition. We play around with macronutrients. We talk more about calories, some of the higher level concepts. Um, So, I do think you can do both of them in conjunction with one another. If you're waiting for my gut program, I know a lot of you guys out there are. One or both of these programs would give you a really good place to start because you have to start by cleaning up your diet first with the gut program, there's not gonna be a whole lot of hand-holding you through the dietary changes. Um, Of course, we're gonna talk about food. Of course, we're gonna talk about elimination diets. Of course, we're gonna talk about therapeutic interventions from a nutrition and dietary perspective, but I'm not gonna be holding your hand through those dietary changes like I do in these programs. Um, Eat to Achieve and the CCP are nutrition programs, whereas Your Hormone Revival and the Gut Program are going to be more of the functional medicine piece. Okay, so th- that's the distinction. I get that question a lot. Um you really do have to start by cleaning up your diet first before diving into any gut healing protocols, any programs. These are the plates to start. And then one more thing, I recently shared this in my Instagram stories, um, and I shared it because constipation is one of my most topped asked about questions. I I get so many questions about constipation that I did an entire episode dedicated to constipation and the clinical strategies that I use to help people with it. That's episode 76. Um, I found a new product that's an absolute game changer for constipation. And so that's why I posted about it. It's a Um, a new product that I found for my show sponsor, Houston Enzyme. So I've been talking a lot about their digestive enzymes. As you guys know, Trienza is my favorite. I take it with every meal. Anytime I leave the house, I take it. If I eat out at restaurants, if I eat um, at somebody's house, anytime there's potential of cross-contamination, I take that. But I also just use it as my basic digestive enzyme. But this particular product was new to me, Biomove. It contains enzymes, probiotics, and prebiotics. And contains an extract from kiwi fruit. So there's some um, interesting study that shows eating two kiwi fruits a day can relieve constipation. So that's something that you could totally try on your own. Um, But this product contains the extract from kiwi fruit. It also helps to break down fiber-rich foods and can soften the stool. So lucky you, you can save 20%. Off of your first Houston enzyme order. If you head over to their website, Houstonenzymes.com, use the code Houston20 and get yourself um, some enzymes and make your tummy pretty happy. Okay, let's dive into the interview. I've got Kathy Biasse. Um, She is dedicated to helping people understand the power that lies at the end of their fork. She's a breast cancer survivor herself, and she specializes in the functional application of nutrition for root cause health improvement for chronic disease, with a particular focus on cancer care. And that's exactly why she's on the show today. Through TV speaking engagements and working one-on-one, Kathy educates people on topics such as nutritional support for cancer patients, managing side effects of allopathic cancer care, the microbiome and its links to health, immune support, improving gut health, and cancer coaching. Kathy does have her own podcast uh, called The Health Hub. I'm going to be on that show next month. I'm pretty sure next month, within the next couple of months. So I'm excited about that. So you can check her out over there. She's got lots of goodies for you. So without much further ado, here's Kathy. Okay, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to dive into today's topic because it's one that I know a lot of our listeners have questions about. Thank
1: you, Erin, for having me on the show.
0: Um, All right. So most, what I've found anyway, that most practitioners who get into the alternative health world get here because of our own health struggles and our own experiences. So can you tell us a little bit more about your backstory and how your personal experience with breast cancer changed your viewpoint on health and how it impacts your practice?
1: Well, I wasn't practicing in uh, integrative care <clears throat> before I had the breast cancer diagnosis. I was actually in the finance industry, and uh, working with my dad. And you know, the, the short story is that uh, his health started to decline, so we closed down the business. Then about a month after, um, I found a small lump and then was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I went through um, the allopathic, the medical care, and uh, integrated. I was uh, lucky enough to be at a, a boutique gym. Uh, just a small place and I was there you know almost every day working out and so made a really nice connection with the three people there and when um, I told them that I had my diagnosis they went to town so it was okay now we want to do this for exercise we want to give you these supplements and let's you know do this with your diet and I thought that I had been doing really well anyways Um, but it really I found made a huge impact on um, my care. You know, I didn't know, you don't know what you don't know going into this, but when you are in the medical system in cancer, you realize how many people are joining you there. You know, there are lineups to check in, there's lineups for the radiation and the chemotherapy. There are just so many people in the same situation. And so you get to chatting with people. You see them, you know, especially during the radiation. I was there for 25 sessions um, every day except weekends. So I would chat with people and they would tell me their story. And um, so many of them couldn't finish treatment and were, were not well and um, very weak. And I just found that I, I managed my treatments well. Um, I had a nurse uh, call me up to the desk while I was waiting one day for for my, to begin my chemotherapy treatment. And I thought, oh no, now what? So she said to me, I just need to tell you that your blood work is better than mine. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's good. And, you know, just looking back and putting two and two together, um, I took on, I I, I exercised a lot. Um, And back, you know, nine years ago, there was still the, the kind of understanding that exercise is inflammatory, which is, but um, they were like, you know, rest don't, but my body told me that I needed to be doing something, whether that was for stress management, whether, I I don't know what it was, but I was exercising every day. Now I stopped when I was tired and this and that, but just being in the, the medical system and seeing how I felt I made it through my treatment, I realized that there was a void there So I went to nutrition school and um, I took a cancer program in, in tandem with that from the National Association of Professional Cancer Coaches, and I became a certified cancer coach and melded the two together into the practice that I have today.
0: Wow, and I think there's such a need for it too. I mean personally, cancer is not something that I touch with a 10 foot pole simply Mm -hmm. because I don't have the education in the background. And I've been to many seminars and with integrated physicians who feel the same way. It's like, if you, if you, if you don't know, then you can't talk about things like you do know, especially when it comes to something like cancer. So I, I am certainly grateful to hear your viewpoint on all of this as a survivor, but also as somebody who's works with, with clients and has, specific training around this. Um, I think a good place for us to start off this conversation is by talking about food. Um, You're a nutritionist, I'm a nutritionist. It's probably fair to say that we both think food is important. Um, Collectively, I think a lot of folks are starting to question what we're being told about diet, which is that food doesn't really matter when it comes to disease. The best example I can think of here is when I interviewed my friend she's a biological dentist, Dr. Kristen Graham. She was diagnosed with UC, ulcerative, I can never colitis. say that word, colitis. <laughs> I could never, I just call it UC, colitis. Um, and her GI specialist told her that diet plays no role in the prevention or mm-hmm. treatment of colitis. And she's like, this just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, this is my intestines we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Of course, diet's gonna impact it. Um, so we have to acknowledge the role that food diet and nutrition play in our overall health and disease prevention. So can you talk about the importance of this as it relates to cancer?
1: hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. It's, uh, it's seldom now that I hear physicians uh, in the cancer sphere say that diet doesn't have anything to do with feeling better or making it through treatments better. Um, the only area that I still find that physicians have that may have that um, mindset is if someone's losing a lot of weight, and then it's just you know taking as many calories as you can. Um, and I don't I don't follow that. Um, I think that when you're taking in calories that are challenging for the body to digest, I think it can increase the uh, the strain on the body, perhaps crease inflammation, and it's taking away, you know, when your body is getting something that it doesn't naturally want, it's got to kind of figure out what to do with it. I mean, that sounds kind of simple, but it's the truth. And um, with diet and what I've seen and what uh, I have developed in my practice over the last five years, really we're even going beyond the what. So I think you're right, I think that we can acknowledge that a calorie is not just a calorie and that there are nutrients, phytonutrients, minerals, vitamins, uh, macros that are necessary for our body to function. That's what food is, it's a fuel. Um, and not taking away from the pleasure of, of food, the two can certainly be meld and intertwined and, and for a, a very solid diet. But it's, it's even for me, it's moving beyond the what to the where, the when, and the why, and this is where the huge impact of lifestyle really um, crosses over with diet. So um, it is 100% what you do eat, but absorption rate is better during the light hours. So following the circadian rhythm pathway, uh, when you eat is very important, what you eat, how you eat it. How you chew your food, if you're mindful of eating your food, uh, where you're eating your food. If you're sitting in front of the TV, you're really not being mindful of eating. You're not chewing your food. Um, we have uh, the parasympathetic nerve nerve uh, pathway is needs to be engaged for us to properly digest food and absorb the nutrients. So. Um, the the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous uh, systems are, are they're exclusive so you can't be stressed out which is the sympathetic pathway you can't be stressed out whether you're watching a scary movie or you're getting a upsetting phone call and expect to eat and digest that food so that's extremely important as well. You could have a pristine diet, but if you're not assimilating that diet, then you are not getting the benefit of what you're eating. So it's really all encompassing. Um, And and the, the beautiful picture that is starting to unfold, and it is unfolding in science and in the medical field, is that lifestyle is uh, now being highly recognized as extremely important for the health of the cancer patient, for the improvement of digestion. So when we're talking about uh, the microbiome and that is that is front and center now in all areas of health, in all areas of research and in you know, and for me, especially in the area of cancer care. And when we're talking about the health of the microbiome, it necessitates proper lifestyle. Proper nutrition, so it, it it play you know people in integrative care uh, have the ability to sort of step out of standard of care, and I I really really like to talk about this when I speak with people because I stress the fact that I'm an integrative care person Um, and and I hearken back to the doctors and physicians that took care of me they were outstanding I'm not in competition with doctors I want to work with the doctors I'm a piece of a circular puzzle uh, in the cancer person's protocol and it's 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 not that the doctors don't know or can't know or don't understand or blind to, in my opinion, it's they don't have the time to. So integrative care for me bridges that we offer time, we offer space, and we offer maybe um, a broader picture that we're able to dive into that uh, the medical system and the doctors, they just may not have the time to, to get involved with.
0: That is such an eloquent way to put it, and an important, um, a, an important note for sure. So you had mentioned. In, let's go dive a little bit more into the nutrition piece. You had mentioned macronutrients. So of course, the question that I have to go to is about the ketogenic diet, because there's a lot of um, a lot of good research coming out about the ketogenic diet as it relates to cancer. Um, I had a person reach out to me a couple of months ago saying that. She's a cancer survivor, and every, all of her doctors across the board are telling her she must be on a ketogenic diet. So it certainly um, has gained some traction, let's say. So can you speak more about this? Is this a necessary thing? Is this more of a part of a treatment plan, or is this more preventative? Um, tell us a little bit more about the ketogenic diet as it relates to cancer. Um.
1: Out of the shoot, I'm not one who recommends the ketogenic diet across the board Um, for many reasons. I don't think the long-term studies are there. Um, I think that the type of person that I am working with has a really hard time getting to that diet and maintaining that diet, and it offers um, a level of stress. I often see people who have come off the diet. Uh, and have found it very difficult and very stressful to try and implement within a cancer protocol. Um, For me, and you know, as nutritionists, I'm sure um, you've seen it before, we all have our own research bent, we all have our own gut feelings, and we all have our own clinical experience. And with my clinical experience, the diet that has um, been the easiest to assimilate for people that will help them to get the profound nutrients that they need is a Mediterranean diet. Um, the research in the area of hormonal cancers still bends toward a non or a lower fat diet. Fat is important in the diet but I just feel um, and the, what I have researched is that Swinging so hard to one macronutrient um, is not the way that I want to go. And history has borne that out. So there are some people that have done well on it in the short term. Um, Research tends to be showing that it is more of a therapeutic diet as opposed to a lifetime diet. And, you know, we're talking in generalities here. Uh, of course, you can have some people that will stay on the diet and will be ma- able to manage it well, but in in the broader sense, I'm not seeing that. Um, I also think that if you are going to go on the ketogenic diet and if you are someone who is health compromised, as is a cancer patient, that this needs to be done and executed properly. There should be proper blood tests done, there should be proper testing done to make sure that the stress of this diet is not impacting kidneys, liver, and so forth. So if someone wanted to do this diet, I would recommend that it be in a hospital setting, because it can can, uh, have side effects. Um, children who have been on this diet and have done very well uh, epileptic children this is done in the hospital setting to make sure that the transition is done properly and then it's maintained outside of course but um, I am not an expert in the ketogenic diet and I definitely am not I don't feel qualified to switch somebody over to a ketogenic diet uh, mainly because my heart is not in it. And I just feel that there are people that are studying the diet and know it far better than I do. So I've only had one person asked to be on the diet. I referred her out and she came back. So that's my experience. Um, And we all have our own experiences. I think within cancer, the ketogenic diet has had the most impact in, uh, brain cancers. Um, so I'm not negating the diet. It's just not one that I work on with people.
0: Okay. You brought up so many really big, important points. And, um, I didn't realize that, that it, uh, brain cancer was something that it was uh, well studied for, but I mean, it would make sense because we know that, this ketogenic diet has a lot of neurological effects, positive Mm -hmm. neurological effects. And I, you know, I will say that, um, I don't do much with the ketogenic diet personally in my practice, but making that transit transition into ketosis, into a more fat burning state can be stressful to the body. And I think that people don't necessarily understand that because we tend Mm -hmm. to hear all of the it, you know, all of the, a lot of people sing the praises of the ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. but we don't always hear about that transition period. When I, I first tried a ketogenic diet, cause I'm, I'm an N equals one junkie. I always want to try things on myself.
1: Mm-hmm. I did as well.
0: Yeah, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, it prompted an autoimmune flare for me because it was just so wildly stressful to mm-hmm. my body. And so if you are in recovery or if you're in treatment, it would, you know, you really have to take that into account. Is this going to be too much stress for your body? Um,
1: Plus plus the fact, Erin, my focus in care is on the microbiome. And um, that coupled with the fact that the body does need carbohydrates, especially going through treatment to have the energy to do what it needs to do. It just, um, in my line of thought, going to the ketogenic diet doesn't fit in to where I have seen successes. And when you're supporting the microbiome, um, you need fiber and carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, and I think you could find, um, I've certainly talked about this ad nauseum. It sounds like you and I are on a very similar page when it comes to this. You, could, you can find research on either side of the fence. Uh, yes, Basically, you can. Like, like yes, all, you can. A hundred percent. All things in nutrition. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I, did, um, I did a three-hour talk yesterday, and I said that too. I said, it's very hard to not show your bias when you're doing research, and you can find the answer you're looking for no matter what the question is. Um, <laughs> and, and it is true but when you're the value that we have and, and the benefit that we get is that we're working with these people clinically so when i'm executing a diet plan when i'm working with people and i'm seeing success it just it just pushes me to continue along the same path
0: absolutely and nothing can trump or replace clinical experience working mm-hmm. with human bodies the research is great and i'm grateful for it but what happens when you take that research and apply it to actual human beings right
1: well yeah and and we're all different so that y- the diet can work for people um it's just the people that i'm working with and the stress that they're under and and understand too that i'm 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 often seeing ill people like quite ill people and then to ask them to use nutrition i mean we do want it to be a part of their protocol for sure but food is there's a joy to food there's a stresslessness that should come with sitting down and eating a meal so that when a cancer patient has been gone through treatment or has not been feeling well for a few days and you know their spirits are low and and all the things that come the emotions that come with a cancer diagnosis and they sit down to eat and then they're they're looking at a plate of food that either they're they're not interested in or they've got no desire to eat because it's not the way they've eaten all the time you're adding another stress to them so you've got to they've got to have some joy when they're eating and and this is always you know it's a fine line it's it's a fine line
0: and also what you said too about uh, one thing that i stress to people is that you had said therapeutic diet versus lifetime diet, and I really like the way that you phrased that because sometimes the diet that is integral in your healing process, you know, a therapeutic diet, that doesn't mean you eat that way for the rest of your mm-hmm. life necessarily, right? That right. might pull you up out of a hole, but it doesn't mean that you need to stay there. Um, you did mention just now the the stress and the emotional, toll that a cancer diagnosis plays how do you support people through that process and even you know i was thinking with cancer treatment there's a lot of gi upset right is there ways to soothe down those symptoms i mean i, I hear what you're saying about the ketogenic diet it seems so radical in a, of an approach especially if somebody's just having a hard time stomaching any food
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there are many ways that you can calm down the GI tract with food, Um, and there are supplements too, of course, that you can use, but we're still at that phase where the research isn't up to what the doctors are looking for to allow um, certain supplements into the diet. And we still have a lot of uh, physicians who just blanket say, please, no supplements, Um, and then I, I respect that because imagine you're a cancer patient and the fears of that and the unknown of treatment coming up and then I say you need to take these supplements and the doctor says don't take the supplements, uh, I need to back off um, I, and, and I don't want to add another stress to them. It, when we're talking about stress to me that's the penultimate issue that we're dealing with If stress can't be managed and and let's face it when you're going through treatment when you've been diagnosed with cancer there's no way that I'm going to expect someone to have a stress-free life I mean that's just part of the puzzle Um, but it needs to be managed because uh, as I hearkened to uh, a bit ago if you're under stress no matter what you eat it, it just it just is not as optimally absorbed so to get that person into a place where they can calm down and and look forward and see hope and optimism it's it's how do I say I can only use my own um, experience it is a self induced place to be and I do work with them on that I find that when I tell them my story and how I kind of got out of my dark space um, that's the benefit I can have. I can talk to them not as a as a book person but as someone who's gone through it and I can say I, I understand, I understand your fear, but this is where we're at and this is what needs to be done. So put your head down and start you know battling through. And and that's that's you know that's the, the, the cheering that I do. But then we talk about breathing. We talk about finding space to find joy in the day. We talk about looking to a higher power to relieve yourself, you know, of the burden of of it all being on you. And that that higher power, that spiritualness uh, can be difficult for some, but we're not talking about, you know, a particular belief. I'm not saying, uh, you know, a particular uh, bent that I put people on, but it's just looking to something a little bit higher beyond you that can that you can pray to that you can meditate to that you can talk to um, to help you Um, and a lot of people do find comfort going to their spiritualness Um, when someone who has who's been brought up in a faith and a belief you know, everything is great until something goes wrong. And then we, we lose, you know, we forget what we've, we forget what our faith is. We forget what meditation is supposed to do for us. We forget these things. And um, to be reminded of that is often enough for someone to at least start down the path of working with their mindset. Um, and that's important. When, when you're going through cancer and you've got a wonderful support system, a lot of people still feel that they're a burden. So when they have a spiritualness, when they can even look inward to their spiritualness, some people prefer to look inward. Um, it's reminding them of that is a great thing. Um, and then, you know, simple things, let's talk about breathing techniques. I talk about, you know, going for walks, exercising is great for, for stress. Trying to get them into a good sleep pattern, giving them tips for sleep is is very important as well. Um, So all those things go to the stress, but you know, being realistic, um, there's a level of stress here that they have to deal with.
0: Yes, Um, yes, I I will say that I've I've had my fair share of health uh, scares and situations and each time it plunges me more and more and more into my spirituality, faith, connection to something greater than myself. And mm-hmm. for that, I do, I do see it as a gift. Um, mm-hmm. okay. Now you had mentioned earlier, um, fasta- or excuse me, um, circadian rhythm and mm-hmm. meal timing. And so I, I do want to ask you about fasting. Intermittent fasting is very in vogue right now. Um, mm-hmm. is there, does this have a potential to be a tool during cancer care?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely it does. Um, so on, in the broader scope, we, you know, we like to put names on things, um, but we eat too much generally and we eat for too long of periods during the day. Um, and what that does is it messes up our circadian rhythm. So, Circadian rhythm is that 24-hour sleep-wake cycle. It's cued mainly by light and dark, but also other cues can be exercise, medication, and eating. And our bodies have certain functions that they like to do during the day and certain functions that they prefer to do at night. And when we start messing up the signals, then that's when um, we can run into some health troubles. So for instance, the microbiome, uh, let's do the liver. The liver's easier. The liver likes to be in the, working with the digestive system during the day. So it's, it's, that's what it does during the day. The liver has, you know, hundreds of functions. But at nighttime, uh, when you're sleeping, that's the time that the liver wants to do its reparatory work and detoxification. So if you're pushing up your eating, you know, towards 10, 11 o'clock at night and you're snacking, When you go to bed, your body is is not detoxifying and repairing, your body is still digesting. And that just kind of messes up the clocks and it messes up the hormones. Um, So intermittent fasting trains us to eat the way we're supposed to, to set our circadian rhythm and it also is um, very good therapeutically for mitigating the side effects of cancer treatments and that's come out in several studies. Uh, Walter Longo, I believe, and Sachin Panda have done studies in this area. And when you um, so therapeutically, if a person is going, say, through chemotherapy, if we can um, we, er, not weaken, if we can lessen the calories a day or two before, like really drop them down. So this is more of a fast, more of going into a ketosis. And this is where um, ketosis can play therapeutically into cancer care. Um, so this is the crossover of a full-blown ketogenic diet versus trying to bring someone into ketosis for a few days, uh, and what that can do, it can weaken the cancer cells, and it can help the chemotherapy uh, work more effectively, and it can help mitigate the side effects of treatment. So that's the therapy of of using the the sort of ketosis or ketogenic model, and then that's how fasting can come in therapeutically. So. Uh, if someone is a healthy cancer patient, if they are vital, if their weight is not um, too low, what I will suggest to them is to reduce their calories to below 500 at least a day or two before, If it, depending, you know, it's very individual. So this is not a blanket statement for everybody. Uh, I need to see you sitting across from me to, to, to judge, but uh, ideally a day and a half uh, to a day before, we're gonna drop those calories quite low, and then go through treatment and start bringing them up again um, as the the next day. And, and this has been shown to be extremely effective. And then on a regular basis, I encourage people to eat. I, I think the easiest thing is the, the 16-8 window. So 16 hours of fasting and eight hours of an eating window. Um, we might have to graduate to it. So for someone who this is very new for, I will ask them simply to not eat three hours before bedtime. And and sometimes that's enough to get them in the mindset of, of this timing of eating and so forth. Um, so 168, 8 14 those are all really good areas to be in. Um, but we have to be mindful too that the person is there are two ways that some people have gone um, is they eat far too much in that eight hours They think it's a free free free-for-all or they're not eating enough so um, those are two two things that I look out for when I'm working with uh, people but that's how I use the intermittent fasting as a lifestyle to help uh, manage weight to help uh, get the circadian rhythm going properly so that uh, the two main hormones that we're talking about are melatonin and cortisol within the circadian rhythm and you know sleep all of those things come better when you when you're working with your body clocks and they're working at um, they're working on point
0: thank you for that that is a lot of helpful tips and you mentioned cortisol and I I the bulk of people that I work with are uh, women of their menstruating age Um, who don't have cancer. And so I actually see fasting being um, problematic from a cortisol perspective. It kind of shoots their cortisol up through the roof. And I see this with, you know, lab data as well. So it's not a, and I, I think a lot of the issue honestly is that they're combining fasting with low calories potentially low carb and over exercising. So it's just this perfect yeah. storm of, um, stress basically on the body.
1: Exactly. And that, that's why like intermittent fasting for me is not a weight loss thing. If that's a byproduct of it, that's fine, but you're eating your calories within that window. It's not that you're not eating, but that eight hour window is just when you're condensing the eating as opposed to spreading that. So if you're talking, say, a 2,000 calorie uh, diet, you're eating 2,000 calories within the eight hours, you're not dragging those 2,000 calories out
0: for 14 or 15 hours. Perfectly said. Um, you had mentioned, or you, I've, uh, you you, said somewhere that you should avoid detox programs when going mm-hmm. through cancer treatments. What do you mean by that and why is that important? Um,
1: When, so the body is under great stress going through treatment, chemotherapy, radiation. So we want to support our natural detoxification pathways a hundred percent, but we don't want to force the body to over detoxify. We don't want detoxification programs. The body is being inundated with um, medicines, with toxins, and it needs to be able to, to let those toxins go naturally. Also, the body is theoretically and and hopefully killing off cancer. And those cancer cells need to be detoxified too. If you start to push the detoxification, so not support it, if you start to push it, you can stress the body, stress the liver, stress our detoxification pathways and inundate the body with toxins that it it can't get rid of fast enough. So imagine a bucket or a sieve probably so the toxins are coming in and it's flowing nicely through so the liver is the sieve let's take the liver the water's coming through and then all of a sudden we're flooding that and it becomes overwhelmed and those toxins are just spilling over that's not what we want that's completely inflammatory that's adding a burden to a body that's already stressed so we want to support the detoxification there's just no way we want to be pushing that process at
0: all would it make sense for somebody that's pre-treatment to do something to support phase one, phase two, and just overall liver health and phase three, like make sure the bowels are moving, um, doing some gentle support to to move that process along before treatment, or you just kind of want to take a hands-off approach?
1: Well, the body is going to be stressed when they have this. So if I've got a person that's come in and they've just been diagnosed. So the normal you know, the, the regular system is they've been diagnosed, they're in the medical system, they're on their way into treatment. I don't know what the timing of, of the beginning and the end of their, of their body detox will be if I put them on a program. Mm. If there's a long period, then certainly we can if we see a need to. But I'm not focusing on on other problems I'm focusing on getting this person through treatment so I will start them on a liver protocol I will start them on a microbiome for pro- all these protocols I will start them on and if there's an area that we see you know I will give them a stool chart and say this is where you need to be you know when you're going through treatment you go- you might see it all over the map but we need to come back to middle ground if we're seeing constipation uh, or excess diarrhea then yeah but Don't forget that these are some of the side effects of medication as well, so they're managed medically as well as uh, complementary with what I give them. But again, a detox can be stressful for an already stressed system. And the other point is is that some people, when they're diagnosed, me included, um, I lost 20 pounds just with the stress of the diagnosis. Wow. Before I went into treatment. I was not a heavy person to start with. And when I was diagnosed, I couldn't eat well. I was anxious. Every time the phone rang, I'd run to the bathroom. Um, and I lost twenty pounds within uh, a two-week period. So you gotta be mindful. You know, it, it, if there's a situation where somebody is 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 really in need, then then I might consider it. But. It, it's not the first thing that I think of, to be honest.
0: Okay, that's super helpful. Um, I'm thinking of glutathione, um, I, I, I'm a big fan. I um, mm-hmm. use it a lot to support liver health, detoxification amongst other things. I remember being at a lecture and learning that glutathione was contraindicated for cancer and even post-cancer treatment. Do you know why that is? It's kind of like a, out of left field. It was just in my brain.
1: Yeah, well, I know some of the research behind it, and they say that it can, you know, the, the, that it can um, initiate or make the cancer grow faster. Cancer will. The cancer cells need um, glutathione as well. It needs everything as well that a regular cell cell does. I don't know a whole bunch of the research. I know that um, it is, as, as well as glutamine. Um, I'm not sure i'm not sure how valid the research is um that's why i work with food but i know that that doctors do like you to stay away anything that that will um chemotherapy is is creating free radicals that's the point of a lot of them of a lot of them and the doctors want that system working so the idea of putting an antioxidant into the body um, um is contraindicated for the actions of and the mechanism of chemotherapy so uh, as far as the specific mechanical pathway other than being a huge antioxidant uh, I can't go into that but the antioxidative properties of a lot of supplements are what the doctors don't want introduced into um, the cancer patient they just feel that it's it's taking away from the now there's research on both sides of the coin for that (laughs) Uh, there is like tons of you'll have people in the complementary care saying antioxidants are extremely vital for the health of the healthy cells and then you've got the medical system that's saying that the, the mechanism of chemotherapy is to create this these these free radicals and so we don't want the antioxidants in i am not in a position to judge either way and if the doctors don't want it then i won't initiate that
0: and I but think we it can just, get a lot through food i i think it it underscores the point that we were talking about earlier that like <sighs> We just can't have people willy nilly talking about cancer and what to do or what not to do and why you Mm -hmm. were saying that you're you're you take more of a hands off approach with supplements because Mm -hmm. physicians are saying like, you know, we just don't have enough information. We kind of have to let the the medication run its course.
1: Right. And who am I to say the doctors are wrong? I mean, I just uh, that that's so far out of scope and logic for me. It's it's I wouldn't even go there.
0: But we can get a lot through food. What you said. Yeah,
1: food and lifestyle, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, the lifestyle piece is becoming more and more important. You know, the big trend now is the the thing that you know we talked about so much in two thousand and nineteen, and I think you know I wrote a blog about it. I think it's going to be the next decade is sleep and getting proper sleep. I mean, all of these things are so sleep, stress, managing stress, exercise. They're vital components of a healthy person.
0: You know, I'm glad that you brought up sleep. I've been, I found myself talking a lot about this lately with other practitioners, especially, uh, but also my clients. It's, it's really like ground zero for so mm-hmm. much, and it reminds me of that saying: um, if you hear hoof beats, don't go looking for zebras. You know, have you heard? <laughs> that, you know, but it's like so many folks will complain about exhaustion or deep fatigue, and they want to figure out the root cause, right? The functional medicine root cause. So they want to do all the labs and like, look at my hormones and look at my gut, which is great. But I'm like, are you sleeping? You know, like uh-huh. let's exactly. work on that. First, that is so much. We want to overlook the basics, the lifestyle piece, hydration, sleeping, stress, and go into like, what's the supplements? What's the, what's the biohacking that I could do? But like, you don't, yeah, you got to earn the right to biohack. You got to do the basic stuff first.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, this is a lifestyle. This is not, you know, I think we've been, uh, when you have a headache, you take a pill and it goes away. Um, and I think we've got into this expedient lifestyle and it's this is not the way that we are built to live we need to exercise daily we need to move daily the the health benefits of doing these things sleeping and moving would wipe out so many diseases Uh, obesity is at uh, the root of so many diseases blood sugar is at the root of so many diseases high blood sugar Exercising and sleep can mitigate that so much. It's, it's, it's profound when you think about it. And these are all so doable for everybody. For everybody. Like Absolutely. our job to me is not, I mean, these are not novel to things that we're coming up with. We're going back to the root of a healthy lifestyle. We're just showing people what it's supposed to be like, not creating new information, I don't think.
0: Agreed, agreed. Um, okay, so we've got a few minutes left and I feel like let's close out with a bang. Let's go to the guts. You've mentioned the microbiome several times. So let's talk about it. We know we're really beginning to understand and acknowledge the importance of our microbiome and how it impacts overall health. So there's gotta be a connection between gut health and cancer, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. well any any chronic disease I think we can we can pretty much say that I, I think safely we'll say ninety eight percent of chronic disease is starts from an inflammatory system and, and um, when you look at cancer and you look at the hallmarks of cancer it, it used to be eight with two um, sort of precedent things um, and now I don't know if they're grouped into 10 or not, but we'll go with eight and two. So two of the things that can, ena- they're called enabling characteristics. One is genetic uh, mutation um, and the other is inflammation. So inflammation is at the beginning phases of cancer. So with the microbiome, the the two things that the microbiome the real the real lanes that I run in are inflammation and immunity and I think that they're tied together. So when the gut is inflamed, it's it's not functioning at its optimum. So if you imagine um, like a, a balloon in and out and in and out, the micro the the gut is supposed to expand and contract and let things in and out that need to be into our system when it's compromised things are getting into our blood system that shouldn't and that's creating an inflammatory response and then the the body has to work in quelling that flame when it should be at work at getting rid of viruses getting rid of cancer cells we all have cancer cells in our body so when the microbiome is not functioning properly, A number one, it's not helping us with inflammation and B, the seed of our immunity and the way we fight off um, things that come into our system that shouldn't be there is in the gut. So if our gut is not up to snuff, these two profound pieces of our health are being compromised. There's so much research, I can't keep up with it, about, you know, strains and, and, and this, that, and the other. But we know now that there's a microbiome in, in the breast. We know in the eye. We know that in the vagina, uh, in the urinary tract, on our skin. And if it is not healthy, we are not healthy. And, you know, and, and some people look at it that we are just the host of, of this profound network of of bacteria and viruses and fungi and our job is to make sure that they're happy and if, if these little critters are happy they're going to do well by us and if they're not then we've got to fix it and research is coming out within the cancer care that my a, a, you know a microbiome can impact the way medication is assimilated and used and it it's you know it's just it's it's going in this direction so much it, there's an astrobiome a strobioome strobiome, something like so, that strobilome, strobilome. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i have that trouble with that word um, and so we're talking about you know when ex, estrogen is detoxified the the microbiome if it's not um, where it should be it can sort of cleave that estrogen from from its conjugation and then the estrogen can recirculate into the body and and then we have estrogen, a high level of estrogen that we shouldn't, so it impacts everything. It impacts everything that we do. So we need to take care of it. We need to nourish it properly with fiber and prebiotic foods, adding probiotic foods to the diet, proper sleep, exercise has been shown to be a profound uh, positive impact on, on the microbiome. So. It is huge, and it's huge in cancer care. The oncobiome is being researched more and more. Uh, studies with melanoma showing that one type of microbiome can enhance treatment, and another type can, can really have a negative impact on treatment. So it it's really is being studied more and more. There are studies, uh, clinical trials going on with high-dose probiotics now, when uh, cancer patients are going through some treatments. I believe it's an immunotherapy treatment at this point that they're working it on with. So yeah, so stre- immunotherapies are strengthening our immune system to fight cancer. So it makes a lot of sense that if the seat of our immunity is in our microbiome that we strengthen it as well.
0: And it really comes back to everything that you've been talking about all show, proper di- how do we support the microbiome? Eating good foods, managing our stress, moving our body, supporting circadian rhythm, you know, all of mm-hmm. it feeds into our microbiome which then in turn feeds into our overall health. Do you have, I wanted, you mentioned at the start of the show hormonal cancers, and then you just brought up estrogen. Do you mind just for, for folks who are like, what's, what's the hormonal connection here? What's this all about? Do you mind just touching on that briefly?
1: Like the type of cancer? So for instance, my type of cancer was a hormone positive breast cancer. So estrogen, um, when, when you're hormone positive, for instance, in my case, um, I have more receptors for estrogen. So estrogen uh, makes uh, cells grow and I have more receptors. I had more receptors on my breast, so the, the breast tissue grew out of control. Um, and so estrogen was a mitigating piece of my type of cancer. Um, the the same with, um, like, uh, uh, oh my goodness! I've lost my words here. Prostate cancer, ovarian cancer—they're all uh, impacted by h- hormone imbalances, and that's basically what a hormone cancer is. Now there are several types of breast cancer that aren't, uh, several types of cancers that aren't impacted at all by hormones. And there are breast cancers that are, the triple negative breast cancer, for instance, is a cancer that is not impacted by hormones. So when you have hormone imbalances, basically is what it comes down to, as I twisted all my words, hormone imbalances can cause, uh, be an impetus of, of a cancer genesis.
0: Okay, that's really helpful for for folks to understand. And then, um, do you you work with women um, post-treatment that are on aromatase inhibitors? Is that within the scope of your practice? Because- A
1: hundred percent. Knowing, knowing, and this is something I really try and, and impress upon people, knowing the medication side effects and what it's doing functionally in your body is extremely important. So specifically looking at uh, a medication that's either going to block or, or either the enzyme or the uh, receptors of estrogen, so basically driving down the estrogen function in your body, knowing what estrogen does is key because now estrogen won't be doing that. So for instance, estrogen is important for muscles, for stretching, it's important for heart health, it helps with blood sugar management. So just those three things alone, cholesterol is another one. So when you do not have estrogen functioning in your body, you're not getting the impact of the positive things. We tend to look at, you know, estrogen as a bad word. It does amazing things for us. So knowing what it's not doing now, we have to work hard in those areas. So stretching is key. What you eat is key. Managing your heart health is going to be extremely important for a woman who is on um, uh, hormonal therapy. So yes, 100%, I, I do work with that.
0: I'm so, I'm so glad that you took a second to touch on that because, um, you know, you just, you see these women who are experiencing the symptoms of low estrogen, vaginal dryness, painful sex, hot flashes, night sweats. And it's because that they're, they're not aromatizing, they're not producing estrogen. So of course they're going to experience those symptoms. So I think helping women make that connection and then giving Mm -hmm. them ways and tools to, um, to manage those symptoms is so, so helpful.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, just know if you, if you're taking a medication, um, obviously there are huge benefits of taking the medication an aromatase inhibitor or, um, but know know what it's doing on the other side of the coin. There's always, you know, obviously there, the, the balance is on the positive, but there, it will be negative. So knowing what the negative is puts you ahead of the game and you can, work to counteract those negative effects of any medica- any medication you're on.
0: Sure. And, you know, reaching out to somebody like yourself, Kathy, who is, has personal experience and also clinical experience with working around these symptoms, I think can be really, really helpful just so you don't feel so alone and just mm-hmm. confused, um, which leads me to the next thing that I want to bring up. Can you talk just a little bit? I know this spring you've got Something coming out, an online program for people in active care, I believe. Can you tell active us a little bit more about and active that? Active active
1: prevention. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Erin. Um, <clears throat> yes. So this is the culmination of of research, of um, experts I've interviewed. I have a, a show myself that's really opened up my eyes to so many different things, especially in the lifestyle area, and interviewing these um, renowned experts, my clinical experience. Um, I've put together a program. It's a four-week program for active care and active prevention, and it focuses on the microbiome. It focuses on circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting, and detoxification, everything pretty much that we've talked about here, and it's an explanation because I I firmly believe that understanding is half the battle. So it's it's an explanation of why these things are important in the management of side effects of treatment and in the management of active prevention. And it's full of recipes. I've got about 10 recipes each week to help support the food protocols, um, to help support the the ways i want you to go in supporting your microbiome there are some foods that are introduced that many people might not be familiar with so there are recipes to support the usage of the food and it's just a really great way for someone that i can't talk to face to face um, they can take the information and start working on changes themselves and these things are so profoundly impactful on treatment outcomes and getting through treatment, and then into prevention. Um, prevention is, is another area of, of fear. It's a different type of fear for cancer patients because they're, they're worried about it returning. <clears throat> and, and part of mitigating that fear is having a solid, solid plan to know that you're doing the best you can to support your health in these vital areas. So it's extremely vital for prevention and that's a huge piece of the cancer picture that is unsupported right now. Um, So I I really, I I wished I had have had this knowledge myself uh, going through and that's the impetus um, of why I created it for everybody else to give them the knowledge and, and the confidence that they can make it through treatment and then actively work in uh, for successful prevention.
0: Well, thank you so much, Kathy. Your work is so needed today, and that's for sure. So um, hopefully those listening will feel confident to reach out to you and to consider this program if it's appropriate for them. So thank you very much for coming onto the show and sharing all of your knowledge with us.
1: Thank you for having me, Erin. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.